Hello. Welcome to Discovering Jazz, where you and I together discover great music, picking up information to keep jazz old and new alive. My name is Larry Sademan, here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, sponsored by Peterborough Independent Podcasters. The Yardbird Suite in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada is one of its kind a jazz club that first opened in 1957 and is totally volunteer-run. It has been billed as Canada's longest-running jazz club. In this episode, we'll be hearing from a few people in the know about its history and what makes it unique. There are some great stories about some of the people who played there, and I'll play music by some of those artists. There's a terrific video called The House That Bop Built, all about the Yardbird Suite, produced by Colette Slipinski in 2010. Let's start by reciting from that video a list of some of the great musicians who have played at the Yardbird Suite. And I look around the walls and I see the photographs of, of guys that, that um, I've met and known through the years here in Edmonton. Okay, let's drop names here. Um, Barry Harris, Tommy Frank, and Doug Watkins, Jack Chichenad, Stan Getz, the Big Millers, Pepper Adams, the great Philly Joe Jones, the Ted Heath Band, David Fathead Newman, Sonny Stitt, Mike Dow, Mike Horace Silvers, Dale Hillary, Art Blakey, Zoot Sim. I forget his name though. <laughs> oh, the Daryl Jones story. Duke Ellington and sit with him like in the dressing room. Sonny Rollins, Nat King Cole was in town, and uh, well, the list just goes on and on. Names recited by some of the Yardbird Suite's earliest alumni. They include Tommy Banks, P.J. Perry, Craig McGill, George Blondheim, and Ken Chaney. Now, did I hear the name Ted Heath? He led an orchestra that he formed in London, England in 1944. He was a household name in Europe throughout the 50s and 60s and beyond as his sons took over the orchestra. Here's the late Edmonton pianist and senator, Tommy Banks, one of the earliest contributors to the Yardbird Suite. Beginning in 1957 and, and almost instantly became very well known uh, worldwide when the people from, you know, the, the Ted Heath band came here they, from England. They knew about the Yardbird Suite because word travels. Let's hear something by them. From their Live in Carnegie Hall album of 1956, here is R.J. Boogie featuring Johnny Hawkworth on bass and Ronnie Varell on drums, the Ted Heath Orchestra. Bye. 
England's Ted Heath Orchestra, one of the groups that played at the Yardbird Suite during its early days. That was called R.J. Boogie from 1956. For this week's podcast, we'll hear from a couple people currently involved with the Yardbird Suite, Executive Director Todd Crawshaw and the longtime president and board member and author Francis Remedios. And later, you'll hear from the man primarily responsible for its current location, where it's been since 1984. But first, here's Francis talking about its very beginning with some nice punctuation from Todd. Okay, so the, the Yardbird started in the in the 50s um, at the back of the uh, uh, by the, the cellar by the back of the Army and Navy, and it was the musician runs after hours club, right? And um, uh, it ran only on Saturday nights, right? Um, and it's really when the musicians decided they wanted to have like a jam type thing, having sessions. And they sold coffee and they sold Coke and stuff like that. Um, the Yardbird, when it was founded, um, didn't actually have a business license. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, when jazz was dangerous. Exactly. So after hours. One of those musicians who was so much a part of those early days of the Yardbird is still playing. He's a master saxophonist named P.J. Perry, who has played at the Yardbird for 64 of its 66 years of existence, first playing when he was 15. Let's play something from P.J. Perry's latest album, one he recorded in the midst of the pandemic. He called it No Hugs. Kind of fits, doesn't it? And all the musicians are regular players at the Yardbird Suite. Pianist Chris Andrews, trumpet player Bob Tilsley, Dave Lang on drums, and Paul Johnson bass. Here's Agoraphobia. Thank you. 
P.J. Perry, agoraphobia. And people who are struggling to beat that agoraphobia could probably not do much better than to try out the Yardbird Suite, as it's such a comforting and welcoming place. P.J. Perry is a part of that video on the Yardbird Suite, and here he talks about what it is that makes the Yardbird Suite such an amazing jazz club, and has through the years, even in its different locations. The audiences in Edmonton listen to the music, and, and they, have their, they show respect by not laughing and screaming and talking uh, intrusively during the performances. So musicians love playing here. Let's hear more from Francis Remedios and Todd Crawshaw. The, the Yardbird um, is recognized internationally as one of the best jazz clubs in the world. Um, and, 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 and this is by other jazz musicians. We have a lot of touring jazz musicians who are either international or from the U.S. And they've toured many other clubs um, in, around the world. And they tell us, uh, in terms of our hospitality, we pick them up from the airport, all sorts of things like that, that they recognize the Arbor as one of the best jazz clubs in the world. I tell you, to tag on to that, um, I get thrilled when I talk to an artist from Amsterdam or, or Europe or New York City, and I'm talking about kids. Well, kids under the age of 40, everyone under the age of 40 is a kid to me. Um, but they will have heard of the Yardbird Suite, sometimes through uh, Downbeat Magazine, the Jazz Industry Bible, who that consistently names us as one of the top jazz clubs. One fascinating characteristic of the Yardbird Suite are the signatures on the wall of the green room by the artists who have played there. And there are some pretty impressive names. I can only imagine how many stories must be, must come from those, from those signatures. And I'd love to hear some. Well, we have, you know, the most famous signature on the wall is by, uh, is signed Davy Jones. Now, it's the real name of somebody who adopted a stage name that was well known. And I'm going to turn this to Francis. Right. And so there was this, this is the famous story about David Bowie coming to the Yardbird. And what happened was, that Court, I think it was in the 80s, that Courtney Pine was playing um, here at the, at the Yardbird. And, and David Bowie had a show. Um, the next night. So he came to see Courtney Pine. Um, but what happened was this, he came and um, people didn't recognize him. So he came and he sat down at his table and a patron said, this is my table. <laughs> so David Bowie moved. He didn't sit at that table, he moved to another table. And so at the show the next night, David Bowie told the audience that he'd been to the art bird. And this is the first time people didn't recognize him and he had to move. <laughs> but but the, the key thing is that we have no reserved tables, right? right? So this patron said, this is my table, but it's really not his table. And, and who doesn't recognize David Bowie? Exactly. You know, blows my mind. Exactly. So Bowie's horn player, Courtney Pine, a British jazz musician in his own right with 18 albums out, played at the Yardbird. Let's hear something by him. He plays many different saxophones, and on this particular album from 2015, he plays bass clarinet with pianist Zoe Rahman. Here is a Sam Rivers composition that has become a jazz standard. Beatrice, Courtney Pine, from an album called Song, the Ballad Book. Mm -hmm. 
Courtney Pine with Zoe Raman, Beatrice, talking about the Yardbird Suite, an internationally heralded jazz club out of Edmonton, Alberta, where I was born and raised and am now living again. Speaking of those names on the wall, here's another fascinating story concerning a Swedish pianist named Daniel Carlson, who played there last year. And the drummer was going through a green room, which has got thousands of signatures on the wall since we've been in this location since 83. And he came up to me and had a bit of a tear in his eye, and he said he found his dad's signature when his dad played here in 1991. So he was able to sign that wall uh, in proximity to his late dad's signature, and that's meaningful. Um, So as Francis said, we we have a very good history and name recognition outside of Alberta. In fact, sometimes our name recognition is better in Amsterdam than it is in in Edmonton. Todd recommended Daniel Carlson's album, Fusion for Fish, from 2014, saying it is sublimely brilliant. With uh, Daniel Carlson piano, Christian Sparing on double bass, and Frederick Rundquist on drums and percussion, one reviewer has stated that Uh, the Daniel Carlson Trio have established themselves as one of the most interesting constellations in Swedish and European jazz. Here is the title track from Fusion for Fish, the Daniel Carlson Trio.
the Daniel Carlson Trio from Sweden. They played at the Yardbird Suite in 2022. Well, the Yardbird Suite was first set up in a kind of a back alley building on Edmonton's Wade Avenue in 1957, thanks much to the inspiration of a local musician named Terry Hawkeye, as well as some other local jazz musicians. It ended up moving to a downtown location after five years, and then again in 1967, and in 1973 it was shut down for a number of years. But the newfound Edmonton Jazz Society, who runs the current Yardbird Suite, ended up staging concerts all over the city and various venues. That went on for about 11 years. Let's hear from the founder of the Edmonton Jazz Society, Jazz City, and the current Yardbird Suite, Mark Basie, focusing on how the Edmonton Jazz Society was formed in 1973. But let me first make an important correction of an error that I made in a previous podcast, episode 244, about the origins of Edmonton's Jazz City Festival. Mark Basie had been putting on concerts and recording them for CKOA Radio in Edmonton. I stated in my program that recently he sold those tapes to the founder of Seller Records in Vancouver, Corey Weeds. Well, he didn't sell them. He gave them. He stated, I gave him all those tapes in the hope that for posterity's sake, they would survive. No money changed hands. My apologies to Mark for that error. One of those recorded concerts with Pepper Adams recently became a much-heralded CD and vinyl release called Pepper Adams with Tommy Banks Orchestra, live from the room at the top. That was a venue at the University of Alberta. His next concert uh, that Mark and his gang put on led to a decision to form the Edmonton Jazz Society. Let's hear Mark talk about it. I, I had met uh, Charles Tolliver in New York as well and done a, done a radio interview with him for, for CKUA. And uh, we had stayed in touch. And we decided that this group of friends of mine... Uh, who were who were who were fans and and you know active in the in the jazz scene that we would bring Charles Tolliver to uh, to to Edmonton and in those days we used to billet we used to billet the players I I don't remember who I had with me I, I think it was John Hicks was yes because John borrowed my brand new road bicycle that I had been saving for ten years he borrowed my bicycle and he. He destroyed it. He hit a parked car <laughs> going down going down a hill. Uh, we did two days in Edmonton at the Captain's Cabin, and, and then we did uh, a, a, a gig in, in uh, Calgary as well with that, uh, with that band uh, for, uh, for one night. And, and that was in the spring of 1973. Mm-hmm. Well, at, at, and, and, and for those gigs, we lost money. One of the uh, the people in our group of of uh, promoters that was uh, that would were doing these gigs, he he didn't want to lose any more money. So I don't know how he knew this, but he, anyway, he said, "Let's form a society. Let's form a society uh, because there's tons of government money out there. The money will just start flowing in like crazy if we if we form a society." So we I didn't look into it. We just did it. We just we just incorporated the. The Edmonton Jazz Society in May of 1973, and and I immediately didn't see any money flowing into the society from the from the government. There was no government money to be seen, but we uh, we did a couple of other shows. 
So the great trumpeter, Charles Tolliver, who is still with us today, was indirectly influential for the formation of the Edmonton Jazz Society, who runs the current Yardbird Suite Jazz Club. I really wanted to play some Charles Tolliver, preferably him playing with the pianist John Hicks, the one who wrecked Mark's bicycle. But the tracks are all so long. So I'm playing five and a half minutes from a live album that he did in 1973 on his own Strata East Records with John Hicks on piano, Reggie Workman bass, and Alvin Queen on drums. It's called Grand Max, Charles Tolliver.
Uh, it kind of feels like a sin cutting that too in short, doesn't it? I, I don't usually like to do this on this podcast, but uh, time's at a premium, especially in the middle of John Hicks' piano solo. That's uh, trumpeter Charles Tolliver with pianist John Hicks from 1973, about half of the track, Grand Max. So there was a period around that time. In fact, it was until 1984 that there was no Yardbird Suite, although there are claims that some of those temporary venues were referred to by that name. But there were lots of great jazz concerts. And the frustrations and hassle of not having a home led Mark and the Edmonton Jazz Society to eventually find a place, the current location of the Yardbird Suite. And next week, you're going to hear Mark's fascinating story about how he found it. But right now, let's talk about a Canadian jazz guitar icon, Lenny Bro, who played a few times at the Yardbird Suite during the old days. I've heard stories of, of like when uh, Lenny Bro would come to town, he, he would play, he would play there, and that stimulated the the local community because he was already sort of well known on the on the Canadian scene, uh, certainly, and, and even somewhat among guitar players internationally. Um, yes, I saw Lenny Bro a few times. He played at the Hovel. He played at the Hovel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We did that show. Hmm. It was disastrous. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was disastrous. It was uh, uh, disastrous in every way. On his on his very first RC RCA album which was which was recorded in Los Angeles um uh with his two two bass player and drummer from Winnipeg um he there was a there was a song on there called called the uh, the tuning tune. Ding 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 ding. Well, unfortunately, Lenny, when he got on the stage, I don't know whether it was the first night at the Hubble or the second night. He, that's what he did for an hour. Oh, gee. <laughs> the tuning tune. Yeah, I must have missed that show because the shows I saw with him were it really was, great. Uh, we had to stop that show. A sad story about a guitar master who is suffering from a serious addiction. Here is tuning time from Lenny Bro's first album from 1969. Then I will play something masterful from him, his version of No Greater Love. Lenny Bro. Good evening, everyone. We'd like to uh, we'd like to welcome you to the first set. We'd like to start off by introducing everybody and saying that uh, we got Reg Kellen on drums. Reg Kellen. Thank you. And Ronnie Halderson on electric bass. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to have to tune up. So we're going to do a little tune called the tuning tune.
Let's end today by talking about somebody who is coming back to the Yardbird next year. Todd Crawshaw talks about one of his most exciting experiences at the Yardbird and his enthusiasm about bringing this particular artist back. I got contacted by a cat some months ago, living in New York, but also came from Amsterdam, called Marius van der Brink. And I was not familiar with him as an artist. He's 32. He has one disc. But I hired him here, and I didn't have high expectations for the gig. And we, you know, had about a half-capacity audience. But this cat sold out all of his discs at the set break, and the first two songs that he did, it, 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 he won everyone in that room. He was an unknown quantity here, and by the end of the night, he had fans um, that he'd never suspected. And he flew straight from New York to here and straight back to New York, we took a risk on bringing him here. But that, to me, really gets my um, blood and adrenaline going. An act who is unknown, who wins over fans and converts. So when he's back here next year, he's going to have a sellout. Okay, what's his name again? Marius van der Brink. He's a brilliant young pianist. And also, he smiled throughout his performance. And jazz guys don't do that. They're serious, right? <laughs> We're going to end with Marius van den Brink with Nightwork from his 2022 album called Blau, B-L-A-U-W, with Ingrid Jensen on trumpet, Doug Weiss on bass, and Jeff Tane Watts on drums, and van der Brink on piano. This is Larry Sadman saying bye for now, inviting you to tune in next week where we'll talk more about the Yardbird Suite and a bit more about Jazz City and the Jazz Society. More about the past and especially the present. More great stories. Some people who started out at the Yardbird and have achieved amazing success. Some of Francis Remedios and Todd Crawshaw's aha moments and Mark Vesey's story about some of the earliest challenges, finding the current Yardbird and how they came so close to losing it. Here's Nightwork, Marius Vandenbrink. Bye for now.
Thank <laughs> you.